Hello, and welcome to the Scripts and Scribes live stream podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, today, we're joined by Shannon E. Johnson, a script consultant and founder and CEO of The Professional Pen. She was formerly a development and programming exec at the Sci-Fi Network, where she was involved in the development of such shows as Alphas, Being Human, Haven, Sanctuary, Warehouse 13, and many, many more. Thank you for joining us today, Shannon. We're glad to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited about our conversation. Yeah, no, this should be great. Uh, I'm, uh, we were talking before we came on that I'm excited the fact that you're a script consultant, but you also have industry experience where I know it can get a little dicey in terms of, uh, you know, hiring a script consultant who really doesn't have that, that much experience or any experience. So uh, we're excited to have you. We're going to talk questions about writing in general, which I know you work with a lot of, uh, of newer writers. Uh, and talk about the buying side because what is what do writers want to do? They want yeah. to sell their scripts. They want to get produced, right? So uh, having been on both sides of that, I think you have a, an amazing perspective that I think a lot of our listeners and viewers would find helpful. Um, so uh, we, if you have questions for Shannon, feel free to drop them in the chat. We will get to them in a few minutes. We have a few orders of business to attend to first, our first segment, uh, as well as uh, just drop in the chat. If you can hear us loud and clear, we'd appreciate it. Uh, it looks like we have good levels, so we shouldn't have a problem. But just in case, drop a, a little uh, note in the chat if you can hear us. Um, but let's get started. Okay, so the first segment uh, is five quick questions that we just, uh, they're questions we get asked a lot. And uh, they're ones that we don't need to spend a lot of time on, but we hopefully can get some pithy answers that uh, the, the listeners and viewers can get uh, a lot of value out of. The first one being genre. Uh, again, as your experience uh, as a script consultant working with a lot of different writers, um, as well as on the buying side, you know, specifically for sci-fi, which is a genre buyer, but I mean, obviously it's you know, part of NBC Universal. Right. Um, in your experience, do certain genres attract more attention from screenplay competitions, but also uh, with potential reps? Right? In my opinion, yeah. <clears throat> in my opinion, no, right? Uh, what I will say is these days, there are far more genre-based competitions mm -hmm. in the first place, right? So it's great that they're kind of starting to divide them because what I do know, and this is not genre-specific, but not every screenplay is a competition screenplay. Not every screenplay is going to do well in a competition. It doesn't mean it's not written well. It doesn't mean that it's not gonna look great on the screen, but sometimes things can look better on screen than they read on the page, mm. right? And so if you can get to a place where you understand the difference with what you're writing, like, is this a competition script? No matter who's going to read it, because you don't know who the readers are going to be. Sometimes they show you who the jury is. A lot of the times they have random readers. Okay. I know people who have read for things that I'm like, well, you don't necessarily have the same kind of background that the person who is submitting their script thinks that you do in order to read the script. So you don't know who those readers are going to be. Right. Mm -hmm. But there are some screenplays that on the page, no matter what, you can have an emotional connection. You can have um, an outward experience, right? There are other things like, let's, for example, something that's like slapstick comedy. It might be totally awesome on the screen, but depending upon who the first reader is, it may not play that well. You know what I mean? Um, 
So I think if you think about it like that, then you'll know it's not about genre. It's just really about how it reads on the page. But if you are a genre person, if you know that you write horror, you write sci-fi, or even specifically comedy or drama, there are screenplays these days that are specifically about comedy, that are specifically about television versus features. And so then you have an opportunity to know that you're going to be compared and mm. contrasted with people who are writing what you write. Because if not, then you're only going by how people feel, right? It's like how your how your words on the page make them feel. Mm -hmm. And you just never know where you're going to fall uh, amongst these readers. Right. No, that makes perfect sense. Uh, that's good to know. Uh, common mistakes. Again, having worked with, I'm sure, hundreds, if not thousands of different writers, mm -hmm. what are the most common mistakes that you see in newer writers' scripts that, that maybe we can help them avoid some of them? Yeah. So... Two of them are not going to necessarily be about like what's happening literally in the script. Mm -hmm. uh, some of it is going to be business and some of it is going to be how you prepare. So the first thing I want to say is not honing your craft. Mm. Right. Right. Like there are people who wake up and say, I'm a screenwriter because I have an idea and not having the respect for the craft to understand that there is some learning that you need to do. Like one of the examples I give often is if I woke up as a 35 year old man and said, I wanted to be in the NFL, people would look at me like I was ridiculous, <laughs> right? Right, right. So the same thing can be true. It doesn't mean that you cannot become a Hollywood screenwriter because you're 35, but there is some kind of training you're going to have to do to get yourself there, right? Mm -hmm. So it isn't just open up your, your laptop and start writing. You have to hone the craft. You need to go learn about structure need to learn about formatting, right? You need to learn about storytelling. So that's number one. The second thing, this is the business one, is sending your screenplay out too soon, mm, right? right? It's not in a great place, but you're so excited that you wrote a screenplay. So this is, again, usually newer writers because you should pat yourself on the back because you made it to it, the end. Celebrate, go do whatever it is that you want to do that makes you feel happy. It does not necessarily mean that it's time to start sending that thing around. Right. Because in this industry, you're only going to get one or two times before people decide that this is not for you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? So before you send your screenplay out, that's why script consultants like myself exist, you know, that haven't always existed. Now you guys have access mm -hmm. to someone who can give you another pair of eyes who know about story. That's the biggest thing they should know about story and can be able to kind of guide you in the right direction. And beyond that, it's not about perfectionism. But it is about if I send this out into the world, does it represent who I am as a writer? Did what I write, is that representative of the stuff that I actually want to write? Because now it's a writing sample for you, right? Mm -hmm. And will I be embarrassed by it? <laughs> you right. know, like, Because it's not going to be perfect, but if it represents you and you're not going to be embarrassed by it, send it out. Right. Because mm -hmm. no matter what, when people buy it, you're going to have notes anyway. So it's not the end of it, you know, so you don't have to get to a place of perfection, but you do need to get to a place of feeling confident that it's going to represent you well, because it's your stamp, it's your resume. Right. Right. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing is this is when it comes to the actual screenplay. I can open up a script and read half of the first page and know that this person has never read a screenplay a day in their life. <laughs> Right. So even though that that's a part of the honing of the craft, mm -hmm. it's separate. Right. Because some people will take classes and listen to workshops and, you know, listen to your podcast. And all of that is great to hone your craft. If you've never read a screenplay, then that means you're going to be making mistakes that are easily fixed, mm -hmm. which then you give executives and readers an opportunity to judge you based on your work ethic 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Judge you based on how much time and energy you put into this, because if you don't know how to format a scene heading, what that says is you've never seen one before. Mm-hmm. Right. If you read one, two, three produced screenplays, you will see them consistently formatted in a way that you can then put two and two together and say, this must be how I'm supposed to do it. Right. But if you haven't done that, then that tells me you don't respect this. So that goes back to honing the craft. You don't respect it, right? But you want to be in the NFL, mm-hmm. right? So those to me are like the big three things that I see happening with newer screenwriters. They're so eager that they send it out too early. They haven't honed their craft. They haven't done the studying. And then they haven't even looked at screenplays. And that's the thing that they're trying to read. I mean, right. right. I had one woman actually tell me that she doesn't have to read screenplays to write screenplays. Okay. <laughs> did, did, when, what rationale did she give for that? I mean, she was just basically saying, I'm doing it. And I've never read one. And I don't understand why I should even have to. Like, she was very adamant about, I don't have to have seen a screenplay before to write one. And at the end of the day, sure, you don't have to have had right. seen one. But it, what it says is you don't respect it. Mm-hmm. You don't respect it. Because there's not right. one person out here saying, I'm going to go out in my backyard and play football and they've never seen a football game. Right. You know, you have to know what the rules are. Mm-hmm. If not, you're just tossing a ball around. You're not playing football. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah, I mean, writers don't write in Courier uh, and in the script format just for their, because they like it. They do it because that's what the industry requires. Right. And if you're writing your script in Times New Roman and as a reader, and I see that, I'm this person has no idea what they're doing. No idea. And it might be a great story. Yeah. But immediately I know that you don't respect this craft. And if I'm a person who respects the craft, then now you've disrespected me, you've disrespected the industry, you've disrespected the art. And we have to keep the art at the center of it, you know? Right. And we've had a lot of lit managers on. And, you know, again, as a former reader, we're looking for things to say no. Right. I mean, obviously, we want to love what you're writing. We want the whole goal is to find that diamond in the rough. But we read so many and there's so many bad ones that any reason you give them to stop reading, they will take because there's a stack sitting. It's a never ending stack. It's not like I have three scripts to read and that's it. I'm going to try to find the best one of the three. No, it's I have a never ending stack of growing scripts. Give me a reason to stop reading and I will take it. Yes. Weed out. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And it can be the structure, it can be the font, it could be the format, it could be whatever it is. You know, there's too many other scripts out there to to right. read bad writing. Mm-hmm. And because it's 2022, mm-hmm. there's too many resources out there yeah. for writers not to go to Google and just figure it out. Like, it's not sure. like when I started where I had to go to the library and mm-hmm. find the one book in College Station, Texas, that could halfway show me what the formatting of a screenplay looked like. Like this when I didn't even have access to a computer every single day. Mm -hmm. So there was no, let me just go to scriptslug.com and download any and every screenplay I want. Like I was really winging it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Right. And only, you know, being able to get what I could get my hands on. Like even at that time, it wasn't go on Amazon and just buy a book and it'll be be here to you tomorrow. It's like, no, I had to go to a library in a college town in Texas where no one cares about screenwriting. And there happened to be like one book there. And I was like, all right, this is what I got. (laughs) Let's do it. You know, there are too many resources now for that to be an excuse. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, The next question, feedback, which I'm sure every writer should get used to. And it'll happen to the, it happens to the biggest screenwriters, no matter who it is. 
right? Uh, and before I ask the question, it's funny because I, I think I've mentioned it fairly recently, but not accepting feedback and not expecting feedback, especially negative feedback sometimes as a writer is like trying to be a boxer and not wanting to get hit, right? Yeah. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Um, but feedback, okay. So writers obviously need to be prepared for feedback. And oftentimes it's what can be perceived as negative or constructive negative. Right? Exactly. feedback um, to their uh, work. How do you prepare newer writers to one, accept it uh, and, and not be discouraged, but two, potentially utilize it if it's helpful into their writing and, yeah. and how to discern between what's useful and not. Exactly. So the first thing that I tell them is that it's not personal. Mm -hmm. As an individual though, you have to do the work of telling yourself it's not personal, right? Because I can tell you it's not personal as much as you want, right? But it isn't personal. The biggest thing that you have to consider is a no to your writing is not a no to you as mm. a person, right? There's a million reasons people can say no to your writing. And some of it may have nothing to do with your actual writing and everything to do with the slate that they're preparing right now. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't fit in what they're doing. Or you pitched it or sent it to the wrong place and they don't even make action movies. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not right. that your action movie is, is bad, but the answer is no, because they don't make that. Like there are so many reasons. There could be executives in there fighting for your script. You won't know that, you'll just get the no. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So A, realizing it's not personal and that a no to the script is not a no to you as a person. You still did your job, you still, if the script is ready to send out. So that goes back to the other, <laughs> the other point, right? You've done your part. The second thing is understand it's their job to give you notes. So if they don't give you notes, they're not doing their job. Hmm. That's why you should expect it is going to happen. And the point is you're trying to sell it, which means they're looking at it like this is going to become mine. So it's like walking into a house right? And you're saying, I'm going to buy this house. It's going to become mine. So I get to come in here and I get to pick at, well, you see that paint chipping right there. And this is going right here because before I spend my money, I need to know I'm getting a good product. So mm -hmm. it's their job to pick it apart. You know what I mean? The other thing is because they're going to make it theirs, just like with that house, they can decide it came in with gray walls, but I want pink. Right. And it's theirs now. They bought it. They own it. Right. So they're going to be able to give you those notes because it has to fit into their brand. It's no longer about what you wanted it to be about. It's theirs now. Mm -hmm. And what they do at NBC is different from ABC, is different from Fox. Focus Features is different from Warner Brothers, et cetera. So now they have to make it fit into their brand, which may mean pink walls, mm -hmm. right? That's not a note to say your gray walls are ugly. It just says it's mine now and I like pink, <laughs> right? right? So you mm -hmm. have to be able to look at it from that point of view. As far as taking feedback, I'm going to, separate two things because it's different with working with a script consultant or sending it over to your writer's group or sending it to a friend and they give you feedback. And that's totally different from my script has been bought or I'm in the middle of it being bought or it's, you know, whatever. And I'm getting notes, two different things, mm -hmm. right? So let's talk about um, on just the regular feedback side, script consultant, friends, writer's groups. You don't have to take the feedback. You don't have to. The question is, why did you spend your money if you didn't want to take the feedback, mm -hmm. right? The question is, why did you give it to your writer's group? If you just expected them to say it was perfect, then why did you waste everyone's time? Because they read your script, however long it took them to read it. And sometimes I read screenplays and it can take me three and four hours to read it because it's not that great. And now you don't want the feedback. 
why did you send it out? Mm -hmm. You're sending it out because you, you as a writer want to be better, right? Now, not everybody knows how to give feedback. Most people are gonna give you subjective feedback. You're looking for objective feedback. You're looking for someone who can tell you this isn't working in your script because, and none of the because has anything to do with their feelings right. or anything to do with what they liked or disliked because they might not be your audience. So no one should be reading your thing and coming back to you going, I like this or I didn't, unless that's what you specifically asked of them, right? Mm -hmm. So if you are sending your script to people who understand story, then they're gonna come back to you and say, I'm not invested in your protagonist. So they may use the word like, because that's just the only vocabulary they have. Sure. I don't like your protagonist because they made this decision that then made me say, I don't care if they win. Now you get to go back home and say, I don't care that they didn't care that my protagonist wins. Or they didn't care that my protagonist wins. How can I address that? Mm -hmm. Right? So that's only if you're getting objective feedback. If you're getting subjective feedback, then it's probably unhelpful and you don't know what to do with the note anyway, right? But right. generally speaking, you don't have to take a note. It's your script. You know, if it gets, if it doesn't get better, Okay, <laughs> you know what I mean? If you're fine with it and you think it represents you, then fine, don't take the feedback. Now, if we're talking about you're working with executives, so you've already, they've already bought it or you're in a development deal with them or you know, you're on a TV staff or something like that, take the note, that's your job. Your job is to take the note. And to be a writer who cannot take a note is to be a writer who does not want to be a professional writer and does not want to be hired because now that's your job, mm -hmm. right? Now, it doesn't mean that you have to take every note. And this is, I mean, I guess I can't say it's between us because we're live right now, but most executives are also not giving constructive, objective notes. So sometimes you're looking for the note within the note, right? right? So they might be saying to you, um, it's not really working for me that this is taking place outside. And now you go home and go, what, did, what does that mean, right? And so maybe what they were actually saying was there's some other stuff happening in this exterior shot that is distracting to the read. Mm -hmm. And really it's not about putting them inside, but about giving them a different location outside. You know, like you have to figure out what that is. So an executive, again, their job is to give notes and some will give you notes even if they don't have notes because that's their job and then they feel like they didn't do it and then it becomes an ego thing. Right. Right. So you can have pages and pages and pages of notes. You might have 50 notes and only address 20 of them, but that's because the 20 that you addressed changed the script. Mm -hmm. Right. Because it's cause and effect. If I change something on page 11, everything before it is going to be different. And now everything after it is going to be different. Right. So sometimes you're going to address notes, not knowing that you're addressing them. But if it's coming from an executive, then take the note. It doesn't necessarily mean take it on the nose, take it exactly how they said, but what they're saying to you is something isn't working. And you as the creative person on in the group has to figure out how do I creatively solve this problem? You know, so this is the job. You know, if you want to be a writer, your job is to take feedback. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it would, the same thing would be as an architect or interior designer working on a home, you may have your artistic palette, you may design it how you want, and you may be really good at what you do. But if the homeowner says, you know what, I don't want that fireplace here, I want it over there, and you say no, then how is that homeowner going to want to hire you? Right. <laughs> now you've lost the whole project. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, you could have just moved the fireplace <laughs> and then, and this is the other thing, mm -hmm. film is a collaborative effort. 
moving that fireplace might have opened your mind mm -hmm. to more creative things and you would have might have done some work that you never thought you can do sure so you know some of those notes that you get if if, if you guys ever watched insecure and if you watched the um the director's uh like documentary thing that came on at the end of it i can't remember what it was called mm. but insecure became what it became because the executive gave a note Issa Rae was not writing Insecure, right? She was writing something that was more closely tied into Awkward Black Girl. Mm -hmm. The executive said, uh, what if blah, 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 blah. That's what became Insecure. Right. So what if she hadn't taken that note? A, mm -hmm. would we have ever seen the show? B, would it have done so well? We don't know. So take the note because that note might make your screenplay better. Right. And you mentioned note within a note. And one of the stories that I like to relay is uh, was told to me by Albert Kim, who's a uh, writer producer on uh, back in the day, Sleeping Hollow. And he's done. He's a showrunner now. And he had mentioned to me that uh, in a meeting uh, that the note was from an executive. We feel like it was a cop show that this cop he needs. He should have a dog. I, I think this cop needs a dog and and albert went hmm he i didn't he didn't know how to incorporate a dog or why or this or that so we kind of delved into that note and essentially what the note really was is he needed more connection so he gave the the cop a you know sort of a partner and mm -hmm. it worked perfectly yeah but that wasn't essentially the note word for word but the the exec had something there yeah the exec didn't know how to you know, and that's your job as a writer anyway to yeah, you know yeah. bring it out. But yeah. the dog turned into a partner because he needed more human connection. He, you exactly. know, he needed that relationship there. And what so we all wish is that the executive would just say, I'm not connecting with your protagonist. Right. They, he needs some kind of connection because I'm not invested in him because I just don't find him likable enough or he doesn't have enough redeeming qualities. You wish that that was the note, but instead mm -hmm. executives are taught to give you the answer. Mm -hmm. I am on a mission to teach executives how to give objective notes that don't give the answer because it's the writer's job to have the answer, right? Yeah. They're the creative one. It's the executive's job to find the problem. Mm -hmm. So if that executive would have said human connection, I'm not, you know, invested in him. I don't really like him, blah, 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 blah. We need some redeeming quality, save the cat. Then we would have known that it's not about a dog, mm -hmm. right? Like, why are we even talking about dogs, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. So... Unless it's Animal Planet and that's their, right. their, their thing, right? Unless it's Turner and Hooch and that's right. the point. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> <You know>? exactly. <laughs> um, uh, this is something that we sort of talked about before we came on and it's value in terms of, again, there are hundreds, I don't want to say thousands, but there's hundreds of screenplay competitions, uh, consultants, readers, screenplay services, pitch fests, all that kind of stuff. Um, how does a writer, and obviously some have value, yeah. Many, many, many do not. Mm -hmm. um, how does a newer writer sort of weed through what is worth spending money on to get value for their themselves as a writer, their script, whatever it happens to be, and what is literally just sort of throwing money away? Yeah. So the first thing is like with anything else, research, mm -hmm. right? It's your job to do the research. In that research though, if you don't know what your end goal is, then your research is gonna be skewed. So specifically speaking about competitions, pitch fest, et cetera. If your end goal is to get a trophy, apply for any and every one. 
because maybe you'll win and you'll get a trophy. Right. If your end goal is I'm just, I just need a thousand dollars because I'm actually shooting my own, you know, whatever over here. So if I can get into this thing and they can give me some money, then apply for any and everything that's going to give you money as the winner. If what you're looking for is access, then that right there is going to weed out the majority of those competitions, mm-hmm. pitch fest, et cetera. Because at this point in 2022, a lot of them are simply businesses, right? So they are churning out competitions, churning out festivals, churning out because that's their business. That's how they make their money. It doesn't mean that you won't get some good feedback or that it won't feel good to be accepted or acknowledged. But at the end of it, you're still going to be at your house with your screenplay sitting right next to you at your desk. Mm -hmm. Doesn't get it any closer to being made. So your job is to do the research of who's on the jury, who's going to read my screenplay, because these competitions aren't always about winning. You just need to get your screenplay in front of the right people. So just because you didn't win doesn't mean that one of the people didn't read it and, you know, make a note in their mental Rolodex that maybe this is somebody, you know, if I come across their name again, I might, you know, X, Y, and Z, you don't know. Um, But then also looking at the competition uh, awards or rewards, are they giving you a meeting with someone? Because if so, maybe that's the competition to try to get into. But then also looking at it, but are they giving you a meeting with someone who doesn't make the kind of stuff that you make? Mm -hmm. Because obviously these competitions will find the one manager, the one agent, the one production company. And now they're like, you're going to get a a meeting with Bloomhouse. But what if I don't make the kind of stuff that Bloomhouse makes? Right. I write romantic comedies. That's not really going to work. That's not going to work. Right. right? And that Bloomhouse person, Mm -hmm. thank God for them because they're giving their time. They're going to take a meeting with you Mm -hmm. and then nothing's going to come of it. Because that's not what they make. That's not Mm. what they're looking for. It's not what they're doing, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Out of the kindness of that person's heart, if they really think your thing was fantastic, they might connect you to the next person. Might. Mm -hmm. But I will just say this from my own, not my personal experience, but from working with people. I have seen two people win every single thing that they've ever been in, okay? Every day, this woman is posting something about placing in this and doing this and blah, blah, blah. She has not sold one thing. She has not staffed on one thing. And she has a Rolodex of all of the things that she's won, right? And the same thing for this guy. He's won like five big competitions, three of them with the same script. Guess where that script is? Still on his computer. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, it doesn't always, it's not, if I do this and do this, I'll get this. This industry just doesn't work that way. So you have to get into these festivals and these competitions for your own personal reasons, hoping to get your own personal thing out of it, but not making the assumption that it's going to get you all the way to Z Hmm. because nine times out of 10, it won't even, like I said, even winners don't necessarily always get the thing that they're looking for. When it comes to consultants, the sure you can do your research, right? What I've noticed, even when I look at consultant pages, most of them will not give you a biography or a list of their work because they don't have any. Mm-hmm. Now, with that being said, there are men and women all over the country who will watch a sporting event and have more um, advice to give than the coach. So it doesn't mean that just because they haven't won a competition or they don't have a screenplay that's you know, been made that they don't know anything about story. That's just not true, right? Some people have a natural talent for storytelling and you need people to work on your screenplay who have a natural talent of storytelling. They may be just like you out here in the business trying to make it, 
Like, you know what I mean? And then because they know that they're good at being a teacher, hopefully they are. That's what I would say. You're not looking for someone again to just go, eh, I don't like this. You should do this. And they give you all of these suggestions and that takes you away from what your screenplay is actually about. You need people who are teachers who understand how to help you write the kind of screenplay you're looking for. With that being said, you only get that in trial and error. It's like hiring a mechanic. You got to go the first time to see if they're going to, you know, try to get more money out of you. <laughs> you know what I mean? You won't right. know until you try them. And so I look at everything in this industry like finding a spouse. When it comes to your agent, your manager, your entertainment lawyer, your script consultant, those are the people that you get to choose. You don't get to choose your executives. You get to choose these four people, right? Those four people need to be a fit for you. Mm -hmm. And not everyone is a fit for you. The way some people give notes won't be a fit for you. Like for example, if you can't tell since we've been talking, I'm pretty direct. Mm -hmm. If you're not the person who can handle direct, I'm not the script consultant for you because I'm not the person who's going to coddle you and hold your hand and tell you about all of the great things you did in your screenplay. We're going to talk about the areas where you need to develop, you know, and get you to the development. If you want a script consultant who is going to um, talk all of your notes to you, right? Instead of getting them written, then you need to find a person who's going to do that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes if you've written a feature feature film and there are 12 pages of notes, how long are you expecting to be on the phone? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, right. that's a lot of notes to go through. So you just have to find the person who's going to fit for you and you are going to find some duds. Just like, you know, with independent filmmaking, you might work with a production company that just doesn't know what they're doing. It doesn't go the way that you thought it was going to go, but you're always going to learn something. You know what I mean? A lot of this industry is trial and error. So try and don't, again, take it personally. If it doesn't work out, you got the information that you needed. I don't need to work with this script consultant. Great. Move on and go to the next place where you can get your feedback. Right. There needs to be like a Yelp for industry competitions and con consultants and things like that. Yeah. So where you can read the reviews and get, oh, well, Shannon's got a 4.8 stars. That's great. Whereas this other person has a three. That way I don't have to spend my money trying both. I just right. know which one's good and which one's not. So right. I, yeah. Because we have reviews, but they're not third party reviews, which means we get to have control over which reviews go up. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So it feels less objective, even if, even if they are honest and genuine, it's harder right. to trust that if it's not. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. I get it. Uh, and it's it is interesting though that oftentimes people don't want the direct feedback. They want to get pat, a pat on the back, and they want to get shepherded into the front of the line, yeah. and they and they feel that that's more important than than learning. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's funny because uh, a few years back, I got my son into a judo, and uh, here's another sports reference. <laughs> and so a friend of mine is. A, a, a martial artist, meaning he's a stuntman in martial arts. He's in the martial arts hall of fame. He mm -hmm. has a black belt in like four different martial arts. And I asked him, what sort of martial art should I get my son into at our local community center or whatever? They have Aikido, they have karate, they have judo. And he's, and he said, well, what are you looking to do? Is it just for exercise or do you want to actually, you know, have him learn self-defense, build confidence, that kind of thing. And I said, yeah, that second one. And he's like, well, try judo. And I, I said, okay, why is that? And he's like, well, that's an actual martial art. Like you can't get a black belt in judo until you turn 18. You can start when you're three and work till 18 and you're not going to get a black belt. It's very slow progress. He's like a lot of kids that go to malls and they see the Taekwondo studio, the kid, the parents pay the money and they get a new belt every couple of months. You know, they're black belts by the time they're seven, right? right. Because it's about, they want to get the award. They want the trophy. They want the belts. But he said, put 
even like a blue belt in judo against a black belt in taekwondo the judo person is going to win every time because oh, wow. they've That's worked three times as hard and three times as long to earn that that blue belt that the, that the most taekwondo uh practitioners have have you know to get their black belt so wow. uh it could be and so it, it's similar i think mm -hmm. earning your stripes yeah. but most people don't want to spend eight years earning 10 right. years earning a black belt they want to get it in two years and just yeah. pay the extra money because it's a lot more money and you know they just want I that black tell, belt i tell my clients this is this industry is long game mm -hmm. there is no overnight success like that right. does not exist right and i think i said this earlier but i just want to make sure that i tap tag it on um yeah even if you find a script consultant who has an academy award it does not mean that they know how to relate to you how sure. to do what they have done right i have had even in film school a lot of my teachers and this is not to bash film school right because i went and i learned a lot mm -hmm. but i had a lot of teachers who were award winning in their craft but they were not teachers mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what i mean so just because they know how to do it well doesn't mean they know how to teach you how to do it well. So just as much as you might be a little, uh, if you're working with a script consultant who's done nothing in your eyes, again, doesn't mean they haven't been doing stuff on there, but it just hasn't gotten big, you know, whatever. Nothing in your eyes, someone who's done everything still might not be able to help you, mm -hmm. right? So you still have to just kind of find what's gonna be best for your process. Right, right. Um... So this is the last question of our startup question, our first segment, and then we'll jump into a few audience questions and then we'll go to our, our second segment. Um, diversity, right? That's a huge issue, deservedly so. Um, but after sort of a strong push for diversity in the past, even a couple of years, it's been, you know, a huge push for it. Sort of what is the state currently at and, and how do you see it sort of going forward? Yeah, so I think it's... Uh... I think it's, we don't want it to be a fad, but mm -hmm. that's what it feels like, right? It feels like people of color are being patronized <laughs> to me. You know, there are so many programs, but there is not enough hiring, mm. right? There are so many programs, but then when people get put in positions, they haven't been trained for that position and then they don't do well. And then people are able to say, well, we tried mm -hmm. and then move on to the next thing. Right. So even though we probably have more uh, television uh, uh, being written by and executive produced by people of color, a lot of those people weren't necessarily trained on the way up through the ladder of staffing. And so now they're at the top having to run their show without really having the kind of support they need to run their show. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, I think the biggest thing is we've got writers of color. We've got directors of color. We don't have enough executives. Of mm. color. Because what happens is now these writers, directors, and producers have to go in because they aren't the people with the money. So they have to go into the studios, into the networks and make them understand their stories. And then they are the people who are giving notes on stories they don't understand, right. which then gives us less authentic television. So here's one of my examples. I don't know if it's the same for you. I don't know what growing up, uh, what kind of area you grew up in. I went to majority black schools mm -hmm. up until I got to college, right? In my experience and that of my friends who I've had this conversation with, bullying does not happen in our schools in the way that it happens on television. 
Now, I don't know if bullying actually happens like that in predominantly white schools, but I can only assume that, well, these writers were white. They put their experiences on television. Mm -hmm. In a black school, we're not putting people in lockers. We're not walking by making you drop your books, right? We're not, you know what I mean? We're not doing those kinds of things. We're in our own little pockets and we're the kind of people that if you do put somebody in a locker, now we're going to do something to you because mm-hmm. why are you bothering this person who's not doing anything to you? Mm-hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that kids don't have their own stuff. You know, they get into fights and blah, blah, blah. But that kind mm-hmm. of teen bullying that has been made the standard for teen movies and teen or even, you know, going to keggers when you're 17. Mm-hmm. I can't say that there is no black kid who lives that life. But in our neighborhoods, mm-hmm. whose house, whose parents are allowing you to be in a handstand doing a keg stand <laughs> in their backyard? Like, where is that happening? Right. And so when now you've given people of color an opportunity to make their stuff, you're still giving them notes that drives it through a white lens. That's not how we how we function. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And so you lose that authenticity. And those writers, like a lot of people don't understand, they think writers have the creative control. They do not. The executives do. So that writer can be fighting all day long to say, no keggers, no keggers, no keggers. And the executive is going to go, no, 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 we need a big set piece. We need the party. They need to have blah, blah, blah. And it's like, go into a Black neighborhood right now where teenagers are and see how many of those you're going to find. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Right. And so it's like that kind of stuff. So for me, it's like, yeah, it's cool that you got a program, that you made a program. Where are those people now who were in your program? Right. Because I know plenty of them. And guess where they are at home, still trying to figure out how they're going to get their screenplay made. So mm-hmm. they were their faces were put in all of the um, um, all of the uh, all of the trades. You know, they were excited because they're like, I got into this program. Right. And the program ends. And this is not for all the programs. If it's one of those writing fellowships for like Warner Brothers, NBC Universal, et cetera. They staff those people. That's a mm-hmm. part of the program. I'm talking about these newer ones in the last couple of years where it's been like, well, people of color want us to do something. We're going to do something. Mm-hmm. And then they do a program, but then everyone who's teaching them in the program is not a person of color. Mm-hmm. So you have to hire from the top down if you want to make a difference, because if not, then we're still going to make the same bumps along the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and going back to your comment about the fellowships, the network fellowships, the Warner Brothers, the uh, NBC Writers on the Verge, and all those, the ABC fellowship, I've actually had a number of them on, and I know a number of them that have gone through these programs, and they are staffed, most of them. Mm-hmm. The problem is a lot of times getting their second job yeah. is so difficult because they're viewed as the token diversity hire, right? That you got here because of this mm-hmm. and, or they're always the first one asked to, I know you're supposed to get a bump for the second season, but we just don't have the money. So would you work for the same money? Yeah. Right. They don't do that to mid levels no. and upper levels. You know, it's only the diversity hire that's asked right. to redo staff writer again for the second season or even third season or even third, especially yeah. now there being so many limited series and it's right. only short runs. Anyway. And so that's what I meant by they're not getting the experience they need. So then another diversity push will come and say, oh, well, we need to hire a black showrunner. Well, which one are you going to hire? Because most of them are getting past story editor. Right. You know, they've been doing this for five years. (laughs) You know what I mean? Who who are you going to hire? You know what I'm saying? So exactly. Yeah. That that diversity 
chair is mm -hmm. really, really tough because you want the opportunity. You want to be in there. But right. again, because this is a collaborative thing, you cannot do it all on your own. Mm -hmm. Everyone else has to be a part of it. And the fact that it's 2022 and we still have to talk about it in a place of diversity instead of just looking at each other as human beings. Mm -hmm. Hey, you need a job to pay for your kid's school, don't you? Me too. Mm -hmm. Promote me. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like you're in here writing stories. I want to write stories. Let's do it. Mm -hmm. But a lot of that comes from, I've read some articles re recently, is people feel uncomfortable having people in the room that are not also in their friend group. And I don't mean friend group as in like their literal friends, but mm -hmm. people they assume they have things in common with. Right. And that just goes back to, as you know, as a person of color, as I know, as a woman and a person of color, it's because now there are going to be certain things that you can't say out loud because I'm in the room. Mm. And it makes them uncomfortable thinking I can't tell a joke. Right. I can't just say what I want to say. And it's like, well, why would you think that joke is funny in the first place, whether I'm in the room or not? <laughs> right. right. That <laughs> says I mean, more about them than of you, right? Than, you know, but, you know, that's why usually there's only that one diversity hire in the room mm -hmm. because it kind of makes people uncomfortable. Like I, there was a showrunner, they left his name off, but that's literally what he said. He was mm -hmm. like, yeah, it makes me uncomfortable. I just don't, I don't feel like I can just kind of be myself. And it's like, so being yourself is saying things that would offend a, a woman or a person of color. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about that. Instead, we're just talking about the diversity hire. Right. You know, and that's just human being stuff. That's just that's stuff that you can't go into everyone's house and teach them how to be a decent human being. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And I don't know if it was intentional uh, or if it was just one of those things, sort of a learning thing. But I remember when I first went to college, I was a freshman and, you, you know, as a freshman, you stay in the dorms and that kind of thing. And I didn't select this particular dorm, but I was assigned it. Mm -hmm. But it was called the... Um, the uh not the diversity dorm but it was uh something like that it was like a diversity dorm because they wanted to you know bring people of color together blah 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 but what it essentially ended up being is a segregated dorm like yes. all the minorities were stuck in one dorm the only white people there were foreign exchange students from england and so you think that you're promoting diversity by having oh the multicultural dorm is what they call yeah, it yeah 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 right and <laughs> instead of just having us, you know, within the general populace and just you make your friends how you make them instead of, okay, I'm in the dorm with all of the people of color and two white foreign exchange students from England. Right. Great. And now no one's learning anything from the other people because the right. point of, the, of diversity is so that you can understand other people's experiences and cultures and blah, blah, blah. But instead you put me in a place with people who already understand me. Right. And then the people who don't are over there. Right. <laughs> so now we're not getting an opportunity to, you know, fellowship with each other. Mm-hmm. So again, I don't know if that's intentional or it's just sort of growing it's pains, but yeah. <laughs> it's it, it intentional, was weird. Yeah. but not conscious, mm. right? Gotcha. It's intentional because for them, they're thinking it makes you more comfortable to be around people <laughs> who are like you. What they aren't understanding about diversity is that it's about us being together. It's mm -hmm. not just about me being on the campus right. and me being a student here. It's about all of us from different backgrounds being able to just, you know, fellowship as people. So right. again, it's intentional because this is the right thing to do, but right. it's conscious that, but you're doing the opposite of the thing you're supposed to be doing, you know? Right. Yeah. I had very little in common with the, uh, the foreign exchange students from Germany and the UK, but you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's jump into a few of these 
audience uh, questions from the chat. So if you have questions from the chat, uh, drop them in the chat and we'll get, get them answered for you. Um, Glenn and Simba both said we're good on audio and video a while back. So thank you guys. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Simba has a lot of great things to say about you. Um, Shannon's Thanks, development Simba. notes are the best in the business and it's not even close. And Sh uh, Simba's actually recommended you, which I'm glad he did. So we can make this connection and have you on. Uh, it was fantastic. Thank you, Simba. Uh, you. Let's see here. Uh, Stefan Raymond Hussey says, on what draft should you get to notes and feedback on? I'm talking for spec scripts. Yeah, it's going to be very personal. Some people have a vomit first draft. You don't want to send that out, right? Because it's not necessarily clear enough for people to give notes. Um, that means you have to be in a place where you understand it's a vomit. If you know it's a vomit, then that also means that you know there's stuff that you need to go back and kind of, you know, clean up. Mm -hmm. So then do that, right? Um, there, so that that means that person might not get to something that's as clear as they. It's it's about getting to the point where you think it's clear and it is clear, and a lot of the times that's not happening, right? Mm. You think it's clear and it's not, <laughs> you know. But if you get to a point where you're like, this is clear, not perfect, not the best story I ever wrote, just it's clear then send it out for notes. Because if not, then you're gonna get a lot of questions about the stuff that you already know are the problem. Which again, in my opinion, unless that unless you're looking for confirmation of, I thought that was a problem and now I've given the confirmation, then you're kind of wasting your money. Like if you already know that that's the problem, then fix it. Um, mm -hmm. But then there are other people because they have a great outline process, their first draft is not vomit. So they can write that first draft, know it's not perfect, but still know it's clear. It's in a good good enough place that someone else can read it and not be confused. Mm -hmm. That someone else can read it and they can focus in on those things that I either need confirmation for or stuff I just hadn't considered at all. So then some people can send it out at first draft. But I don't think that, you know, it's a it's a it's an answer across the board for everybody. Everybody's writing process is different. Don't let anybody tell you differently. I have my own process. I teach people my process. And even in the middle of that process, I tell them figure out what your own process is mm -hmm. because you have to do what works well for you. Right. And it goes back to voice that, that question of when you talk to reps and executive, whatever, they're looking for a writer who has voice and everyone's voice is different. Like different. your process is different. Right. Uh, that's not to say you couldn't take like your particular writing system style, whatever from Shannon and then, you know, use what is to yeah. you. Right. Exactly. Um, Let's see here. Sarav Lokesh says, hello, Shannon. What a coincidence from past two days. Have been watching all your YouTube videos on screenwriting. Learn about your perspectives. It was really helpful today. Awesome. To listen to you live. Uh, so yeah, perfect timing. Why don't you promote, uh, what do you have? Uh, where can people find you, your YouTube channel, Twitter, all that kind of stuff? Why don't you throw that yes. out for us? Come on over to YouTube. It's uh, my name, Shannon E. Johnson. And I have two A's, no O's. S-H-A-N-N-A-N-E Johnson. Um, that's where I am on YouTube. And on YouTube, you can find me breaking down um, films, right? I give you all of the big story beats. A lot of people don't know what story beats are. So I break mm. down what all the story beats are of different films. And then I also have some two minute videos that teach you what a story beat is. So none of my videos are over five minutes. I got story, ele story element videos that are two minutes long that teach you each of what the story elements are. And then I have five minute videos that give you what the big story beats are of some of like my favorite movies from the past, like from the nineties. That's why I think they have the great greatest movies. So <laughs> like mm -hmm. the nineties and the early two thousands. Um, so that's what you can find on YouTube. On Instagram at The Professional Pin, that's my company, The Professional Pin. Uh, it's a script consultant agency. So myself and my story experts are giving development notes 
doing proofreading and formatting, giving you an analysis of your first 15 pages, because that's the most pages that an executive is gonna read before they decide I'm not reading this anymore. <laughs> so we'll look at your first 15 pages and say, yeah, somebody will probably keep reading, here's why, or mm -hmm. no, they're probably not gonna keep reading and here's why. Um, and then we have all kinds of other, um, other uh, services there on awriterforyourwriter.com. I also have my academy there where I have courses for you guys. Uh, I do one live course a year. The rest of them though, you can go at your own pace. You can get that course and it'll teach you how to outline. So we're talking about process, right? It teaches you how to outline. And then I'll do one live course where we actually go from your outline to your script and mm. we write, we do that together. Um, so Instagram is at the professional pin. Um, Twitter is my name, Shannon E. Johnson. I don't do as much on there. I try, but I'm not that great. And then TikTok is also my name, Shannon E. Johnson. So you can find me in all of those different places. Every single place is going to give you screenwriting resources. So check me out. Yeah, check her out. It's there's so many social media. I wish there were fewer. <laughs> I, really I know. Do, I'm only on all of them because they say I have yeah, to do, but I yeah. don't want. I don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's great though. It's great that you yeah. are. Uh, I used to be, but I I just don't have the time to yeah. do who, all who of does? that. Yeah. I'm not a content creator. I'm a small business owner. Right. <laughs> um, let's see here. Simba Binga. Hey, Simba. Uh, do you think all unrepped writers should, should learn to make films or write novels in order to be successful as screenwriters? Been told I need to curate my own IP to gain traction. Before you answer that, Shannon, I just want to say next week we're having on Peter Katz, who is a lit manager and producer. He's produced films for, you know, Toby Hooper, you know, of the uh, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and um, all that kind of stuff. So he's going to be on, and he's specifically talking about developing IP to sell stories. So Great. join us next week, Peter Katz, same time next Saturday. Shannon, what do you think? Yeah. The thing about it is, is I don't think there's any one way to do it. So my answer to your question is no, but that's because I don't want you to think that if you do that, it's automatically going to get you the thing mm -hmm. that you're looking for, right? If you are a novelist, then yes, write the novel, not the screenplay. Mm -hmm. I've told a couple of clients that over the past year who were like, oh, thank you so much. I was having this such a hard time trying to write these screenplays. No, people are looking into IP anyway. Write the novel, right? Mm -hmm. But with that being said, if your novel doesn't do well, you just proved to Hollywood why they should not buy it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So right. if you're not a novelist and you don't already have an audience, um, even if you just want to get into writing books, it's the same way, you know, as people who want to get into writing screenplays. If you just wake up and say, I want to get into writing books, then you're going to have to put in the time to, mm -hmm. to grow an audience. Because if no one is reading it or five people read it, or even a thousand people read it, that's a drop in the bucket and mm -hmm. it's not going to mean anything. So the reason that IP is necessary is because it's telling Hollywood people already care about this. They already like me. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you don't get the people liking you, then you're proving to them that they don't have to do it. It would also mean that you would need a great social media presence mm -hmm. as a screenwriter. You don't necessarily have to do that. You know, you can still kind of stay, you know, solo dolo in your room with your computer as a novelist. Because, again, you're saying people like me, mm -hmm. they like me, they like my writing. You got to be posting. You got to be doing all that stuff. If you're not going to put in all of that effort. Mm, now, as far as making your own stuff, it's the same thing. Sure, you can make your own stuff, but if you're not a good director, you're not a good cinematographer, you're not great at sound and you make terrible stuff, why would they then say, well, yeah, let's work with him. 
right? right. Here's $50 so, million. Dollars. Right. So from my point of view, if you're a screenwriter, then be a screenwriter and do it well and keep shooting your shot. And if it's supposed to work for you, it's going to work for you. Mm-hmm. If as a screenwriter, you have a friend who wants to be a director, mm-hmm. a friend who's a cinematographer, and they just need some work for their reels, because for their reels, they need to produce things. Right. A, a well-made screen, a, a well-made film does not always equal a well-written screenplay. Mm-hmm. They're two different parts of the process. When you've written your screenplay, that director now gets to come take it and make it whatever they want to make it. It doesn't have anything to do with your screenplay. So then you can make this thing. And then now people are all excited about the director and no one's giving you any attention. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what I mean? So there just isn't a a yes or no. But if you want to be a writer director, and I know he's asking this question because it's being said a lot. Mm -hmm. Everyone's saying make your own your own content. But it's also being said because it's 2022 and you can make your own content. Right. There's nothing stopping you. That doesn't mean you're going to go to Hollywood. But if what you want to, if what's important to you is that it gets made, not where it gets made, not how much money it took to get made, not who who's acting in it, then yes, make your own content. There's a nothing stopping you. But if you're thinking to yourself, if I make my own content, I will get to Hollywood. There's just no guarantee that it's mm-hmm. going to happen that way. And so now you've spent this money and this time. Right. You know, you'll learn. You always learn. <laughs> but you could have also just been writing and honing, honing that craft, you know. Right. And talking about learning, we've had on a number of comic book writers and creators and the, the with the popularity of Marvel and DC and all these other things. Everyone thinks, oh, if I make a comic book mm-hmm. of my screenplay, that will that's an IP that will become the next. They're looking for comic books. The thing is, they're all different mediums, writing a novel, yeah. writing a comic book. Yeah. They're very different. Like you have thought bubbles, which is inner narration in comic books. The way you write a comic book is very different than when you write a screenplay. Mm-hmm. And so uh, comic book writers specifically say that a lot of screenwriters try to make the jump to comic book writing and either professionally, which is very difficult. It's actually a smaller, more insular community than screenwriting, mm-hmm. but also just the skill set is different. The experience, yeah. it's a different medium yeah. so that they can tell when a screenwriter has just basically transformed their screenplay For into sure. a comic yeah. book and mm-hmm. one that was written as a comic book because they're very different. Yeah. And so, a lot of people don't understand adaptation mm-hmm. period across the board. Cause like you're saying, it's all different. So the same thing is going to be true for a novel. Just yeah. because you can write a screenplay doesn't mean you can write a novel. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So just like we talked about earlier, what mistakes do new writers make? So let's take it to comic books. Let's take it to novels, hone the craft, mm-hmm. go learn how to do it. Don't just, Oh, I'm just going to write a novel now. Right. <laughs> you know thinking I mean? it's yeah. easier. Thinking it's easier. Or it's going right. to, you know, because it isn't, it's all writing. It's all art. It all has its own stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you still now have to take the time to learn that stuff. Right. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Simba again, in the current big studio climate of obsessing over existing IP, uh, do you think what George Lucas did with Star Wars could happen today? Um, maybe. <laughs> I mean, you know, today, you know, meaning like in like right now, I mean, if you look at what happened with Harry Potter, right, that's very similar, isn't it? Yeah. And that happened, I mean, I, I mean it's 10 it's years happening ago, all the time when, if you mean yeah. taking a novel series into, um, into a film series. I mean, that's, that's happening every other day. Almost all of these limited series that you're seeing are based on novels. With Mm. that being said, a lot of them aren't good because they're based on novels and that adaptation Mm, (laughs) does not always work. 
you know? Right. But what right. I will say is the good thing about existing IP, which is why I say to people who are already writing in these other formats, mm. the good thing about that is now if it gets bought, you can never be outside of the process, at least when it comes to the money, because it's yours. You own it. You own that story in its comic book form. No matter what they want to do with it, they have to come through you. They still might not hire you to write the screenplay. Right. Like, just get the information. They still might not hire you to write the screenplay. Mm -hmm. They're going to bring in someone who they know can write screenplays. J.K. Rowling wasn't writing those screenplays. Mm -hmm. Divergent chick, not writing those screenplays. (laughs) You know what I mean? So even when you think of Game of Thrones, wasn't writing the screenplays, right? Mm -hmm. So you can still go make a comic book and do it all great and then come in and they're like, yeah, we want to buy it. And then you still won't be the person who's writing the screenplay. But because it's your IP, you get a different kind of check. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because you're attached. You know what I mean? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and if he's, uh, maybe Sim is talking about George Lucas. I mean, George Lucas at least had a couple credits prior to Star Wars, but he wasn't obviously like, you could go to someone like Jim Cameron and Avatar, right? Turning that into a huge, massive trilogy. Although the second and third ones have taken forever. I don't know what he's doing. He's got too much money from the first one. (laughs) Titanic Titanic money. Uh, But again, is it challenging to create a new IP from sort of nothing? Uh, Probably. Right. But it's still possible into established IP. They're just, it doesn't mean that you can't do the other thing, but being a new writer and doing it, probably not. Like it's really, it's all about the networking. Like there are plenty of people who you don't know who are getting first time big gigs because they were already in the room in some way. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like there are people right now for a project that I know about who are going in to to pitch on it uh, for a very big company. And most of those people do not have the kind of credits that are necessary to make that thing. Right. Somehow, some way they got in there. Right. So just because it isn't necessarily happening to you doesn't mean that it's not happening. Like it's happening. It's just not happening in the, you know, in the way that you're hearing about it. Um, so you don't necessarily have to have done Titanic in order to do Avatar. Mm-hmm. Right. A lot of the people did a couple of things over here, little small things over there, but because of if they're a director, it was their directing style that then got them to do the next big thing. You know what I mean? Right, so right. That kind of thing happens. It doesn't necessarily have to go from big to big. You can go from small to big. It's possible. Absolutely, absolutely. And I mean, even with Star Wars, using that as, as Simba's reference, he had done THX 1138, which was a small, obviously, fil- obvious film, but it was relatively successful and did American Graffiti, which was a hit. So it's not like he didn't have, he came out of nowhere, right? He still had some you know, uh, credentials. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't noticed, I don't speak in absolutes because this industry just doesn't have any. Sure. As soon as you say, no, no, no one could ever do that. Next week, someone's doing it. Right. No, absolutely. <laughs> as soon as you say, well, you have to do this in order to do it next week, somebody did something totally different and it worked out for them. So you just never know. You don't know what's going to happen and where it's going to go. So you're just riding the wave. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's see here. Uh, where are we? So many questions here. Uh, Simba, one more time. Uh, been writing almost every day for years and wrote 33 screenplays. That's a lot. Uh, why is that viewed as not being a serious screener by so many reps? I have a lot of stories so I can I write them. Well, I would say this. Stop looking for reps. Reps don't care if your stuff's not made. 
That's just the truth. Agents do not care unless somebody is in the middle of signing you on for some open writer's assignment or you pitched it and the, the studio wants to buy it. That's when agents care. Until someone is making your stuff, and I don't mean you making your stuff because there's mm -hmm. a million independent companies right now. Until someone is making your stuff, reps don't care. Stop contacting them. When you make your stuff, they will, they will find you. <laughs> when right. when they realize oh he's over at um at sony right now and he doesn't have a rep they will call you it doesn't matter there are children at home right now put it this way when i was 10 i had written a novel should they care about me people are writing people are writing writers are supposed to write it's great that you have 30 screenplays but that's what you're supposed to do but mm -hmm. if none of them have gotten made it doesn't mean anything to reps mm -hmm. should it yes should managers go oh my gosh this is a guy who's really serious about his craft yes that's just not the kind of world we live in if you are not going to be doing something that's going to give them their percentage they don't care so keep doing you figure out how to get into some of these pitch things and you know going going to the film festivals and networking with people and talking to people because if not you being at home with your 30 screenplays just does not mean anything to reps mm -hmm. so i would say just leave them out of it try to get to the production companies try to get to the producers try to get to the people who you can actually pitch those things to because mm -hmm. i've read simba's stuff he's a great writer so it's not about like his stuff being terrible if you can just get to the right people which is the hard part that nobody can give you the answer on how to do that right mm -hmm. but if you can just get to the right people then you'll get to the place you want to get and the the reps will come to you but i would say stop contacting them mm -hmm. like they they've made it very clear to you that that's not the way so try a new way right and having worked at CAA before personally and having had on dozens and dozens of lit reps, what I will say is what you touched on just a minute ago or a second ago in what you had said, uh, Shannon, in that 33 screenplays and not one made to a lot of reps signal something bad. Like, what is it about your writing that is not selling, right? Yeah. E either you're a bad writer, which Shannon says you're not, or you're writing things that people don't want to buy you know, which is a possibility. possibility. But also, I think you have to look objectively. And if every writer were to look at how many scripts they've written, including ones early on in film school, and this, I mean, 33, objectively, how many are good? And then how many of those are great? And then how many of those are great that are something that somebody would want to buy and make not you personally, you but, like, but like, if you are pitching to Warner Brothers, have you seen something like is, or is it something that is completely avant garde, something new and exciting? Great, but executives don't get paid and don't get to keep their job by making films that are challenging, that fail at the box office. Yeah, they can last for years at a studio or a network by passing on things and only greenlighting things because oh, well, this has this is, you know, J.J. Uh, Abrams, yeah. right? This one has Tom Cruise in it. This one yeah. has J.J. Abrams producing and writing it, right? Mm -hmm. When they take a newer writer, an unproven quantity, and greenlight something of yours, they're putting their job on the line. Because if that bombs, and that however many millions, tens, hundred million dollars that they spent uh, producing and marketing and all that kind of stuff on it, and it bombs, they are out of a job. And so you're asking somebody to risk their job and they're not willing to do that, generally speaking, on something new. If they can say this is like this meets this or a different perspective on whatever it happens to be, mm -hmm. you know, die hard on a boat, 
die hard on a bus. What was that? Speed. Yeah. Die hard on a bus. Yeah. <laughs> right. At least it's something that they can relate to. They can, hey, this one did really well. This one can. If you're doing something completely unique and it may be fantastic, but like if Quentin Tarantino came at studios or networks with Pulp Fiction without having had indie hits and this and that, people are going to look at that and go, it's great, but I can't get this made. I'm not going to put my job on the line saying, I want, you know, champion this to every executive above me saying, I believe in this. They're just not that confidence, I don't think, with a lot of execs. So I would avoid saying you have 33, pick the best one you have and just send that out and, you know, go with and that probably. Think, like a lot of the confusion and frustration on Simba's behalf, on Simba's part, and even for me as a screenwriter is, it's hard to get in the door to the production company or the studio without the rep. Right. And so it's not that he's going to the rep and saying, look at me, look at me, I have 30 screenplays. Mm -hmm. It's more so like, I need you in order to show my one screenplay to right. someone or to NBC or to whatever. But reps are going, uh, <laughs> you know? Right. And it's kind of just leaving you in the, in, the, in the dark. So that's why I'm saying, you know, there's no real answer to, well, then how do I get to the people, right? Mm -hmm. But there are people who are getting to those people. And so even if it's social media, people on Twitter are, you know, getting staff. I had a, I had a client who got staffed from Twitter. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. there are newer ways now for you to get to know people, for you to send them your stuff or, you know, all that kind of stuff to happen. But I would say leave the reps alone. You've gotten your answers from them. So now it's, try it's time to find another way of showing your stuff. But I would say try to get to the people who actually do the buying. Right. That being said, these days, if you don't have an attachment, they don't care. Now, I think that's crazy because if I am, even if I'm a lower level writer, I don't have to be new. Like me, mm -hmm. I'm not new. But, you know, I'd, I'd probably say I'm lower level just because I don't have any of the big, huge credits. And because being a, an executive, I don't get credits. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Right. I would say I'm probably a lower level writer. But that means I don't have Halle Berry's phone number. I don't have any access to Jennifer Lopez. Why are you expecting me to come in with these attachments? Mm -hmm. I don't have rep. I don't have a rep, as as uh, is saying. I don't have a rep. I don't have anything. But you expect that me coming in here to pitch to you that somehow, some way I was able to attach Denzel, like this is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there's a problem in our industry right now with that, that people are expecting writers to attach people to their stuff as if writers are the ones who have access to those right. people. I think, that's, I think that's ridiculous. I wanna say two things about what you just said. The first being uh, saying you're a lower level writer. To those that are not necessarily familiar with the industry, a lower level writer is, you know, a staff writer or somebody who's, you know, in the sort of lower levels of the industry. But writers that are coming in new aren't even at that level, right? Yeah. To get to the lower, you're in the game, right? All right. You're you're, you're, you're you're in the major leagues. You may not be the star of the team, but you're right. So when you say you're a lower level to those listening, most writers, if they again, haven't worked in the industry, they don't have any contacts, they're not wrapped, they're all the, you're not even at that level, lower level yet. You're still outside the park, right? Mm -hmm. Secondly, I've heard a number of, of, from a number of different people that the, what you're saying, which is true hundred percent that you're expected, they don't come out and say that necessarily, but they highly oh, encouraging of, oh, okay, where you need an attachment, bring me Denzel, okay? Yeah. Bring as me you all hang out name, at the same place, we'll right? make this thing. And right. it's like, as, you know, me, you, bring you the name? Right. <laughs> but writers that aren't writers of color aren't necessarily asked that, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. th I've heard that a lot. Mm -hmm. 
you know, so that's a specific thing where, well, you know, you go get me Denzel and we'll, we'll definitely make it. Right. Whereas when I worked at CAA, that was a blow off. Right. I worked at CAA and so many people would call and said, uh, oh, I, someone at Paramount read my script and they said, if I can get Tom Cruise attached to this script, that they would, you know, seriously consider greenlighting it. And I mm-hmm. told them straight up, that's a blow off. They don't yeah. want to tell you no to your face. So they're saying something that they know you with no connections aren't going to be able to get Tom Cruise because Tom on his desk right now has 20 scripts, all with hard offers of millions of dollars yeah. that you coming off the street. We're not going to ask Tom to read your script. We're just yeah. not because we don't know you. Just tell me no. Right. Because going back to, I think it was one of the first questions about getting a pass. Mm-hmm. Getting no is far better than being stuck in the middle. Mm. Because if I get a no from you, I'm freed up to go somewhere else. Sure. But if I think that this is actually going to happen, mm-hmm. then now I'm going to be out here putting my energy into trying to make that happen when all you had to do was pull up your britches and be a big boy or big girl and say, right. you know, we're just not interested or we're just going to pass on this or, you know, you know, whatever, whatever. I think that's absolutely ridiculous. But, yeah. you know, most people are not upfront people like that you know that's that's life that's not just executives that's people most right. people don't walk up to people and just give them the actual answer so i'm not necessarily surprised but i do wonder why we why you would want these people to keep coming back at you saying mm-hmm. oh well i talked to this person oh well i talked to this person now they're going to be bothering you for however long when you could have just said no <laughs> yeah no absolutely yeah, yeah. Uh, that, but that's uh, that lack of confrontation, I think, is sort of that plausible deniability where if you become huge, it's like, I didn't say no, I must not have gotten your email or, or right. whatever. Or I said we could make it if, if you had Tom Cruise. That way, they feel like it's sort of that padding. It's less confrontational. If, if you happen to become the next Jim Cameron or the next Shonda Rhimes or whatever, you can't come back to them and say, you turned me down. You said right. no, haha, in your face. It's like, no, no, no. I said, if you brought us Tom Cruise, we would totally do it, right? right. So it's, mm-hmm. it's that kind of thing. I don't know, but I agree with you. Um, Gross Brothers Parodies uh, says, in your opinion, should new writers be writing feature films or original pilots as writing samples? I live in Canada with no plans to move to the States, but would like to know my best chance at success. Yeah, if you have no plans to move to the States, write features. Mm-hmm. 100%. The, the majority of the writers' rooms are in Los Angeles. There might be one or two in Atlanta, one or two in New York, but the development industry is in Los Angeles. So mm-hmm. this is where all of the writers' rooms are. And even though, because of the pandemic, a few people here and there, a few, have been able to do the Zoom thing, what I hear a lot of showrunners saying is that's not the best way to run a room. And that's because writer's rooms are about energy and it's kind of hard to do energy with multiple people on a screen. People Mm -hmm. are talking over each other and what will Zoom do? Mute out some of the people so you can't hear them. But if you're in the room with them, you can hear all of the things that are coming and all of the passion and you end up, you know, getting a, 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 a better story because of it. So a lot of people aren't into the Zoom room. Um, so I don't think that will last forever. It might last for the next couple of years because Mm -hmm. we're still, I know we keep saying we're post-pandemic, but like we're not. So, you know, we're right. still kind of trying to figure it out. Executives are still Zoom, uh, working from home, you know, so maybe people can still kind of Zoom in. But again, that happens. The majority of the people are going to be in the room. Yeah. So not only are you trying, so you're trying to get like the one Zoom room or the one Zoom opportunity. If you were in the States, 
well, not if you were in the States, if you were someone who wasn't concerned about having to be local for television pilots, my answer would be different. My answer would be write what you want to write. Our industry isn't as divided as it used to be, but there was a point where TV was over here and features were over here. So you writing a feature didn't get you any closer to being staffed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You being staffed didn't get you any closer to write a feature. The executives are different. The agents are different. The managers are different. Everybody's different. And the format and structure is different. So mm -hmm. just because you can write a pilot doesn't mean you can write a feature and, and so on and so forth. These days, it's blending a little bit. Like if, if you even notice like our actors back when I was growing up, television actors were television actors and feature actors were feature actors. Now it's kind of doing this. And mm -hmm. the same thing with, you know, writers, you know what I mean? It's kind of doing this a little bit, even though most representatives are still very separate. Um, they're kind of, you know, playing in the, in the middle. Um, so, but that doesn't mean you have to have feature samples and you have to have TV samples. That's not what that means. I would suggest you figuring out what you actually enjoy. Mm -hmm. If you're trying mm -hmm. to do this as a career, if what you're saying is, oh, I just want to write something because I just feel like it, then write whatever you want to write. But if you're trying to make a career of this, then you want to be writing what you enjoy. Because if you write a procedural cop show and then get staffed on a procedural cop show, and then you go, I don't like this. Is, I don't like this. Well, you had procedural cop show samples. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's how you ended up on there. You know what I mean? So figure out which thing you like and then write that. And if you like both of them, then write both of them. You know, as long as you are actually learning this, the format and the structure of them so that you can prove that you're good in both areas because that's basically what you have to do you have to just prove that that's the thing you do if nothing else what i would suggest is you as a writer have to find your brand that's why you have to find your lane so if your brand is i write character driven science fiction your features and your tv pilots still show that you write character driven science fiction versus i've got this slapstick comedy feature and this character driven science fiction pilot now you're confusing the reps. Mm -hmm. Now the reps don't know how to sell you when they go into the next room because mm -hmm. they don't really know what you do. You know what I'm saying? So there should still be some kind of common thread throughout all of the things that you're writing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's see. Art of Lawyering says, I love Shannon and try to watch every interview she gives. That's awesome. Uh, and he says, question, what advice do you give and how to write from an emotional, vulnerable place? Yeah. That's interesting. So, yeah. So a lot of my clients call me uh, a teacher and a therapist, right? So I am a teacher to them as a person, and I am a therapist to their screenplay. Because if you want your audience to come in and connect emotionally, you have to be vulnerable first. You mm -hmm. have to put it on the page. And the reason that I use the word therapy is not because I'm saying you literally need to go to therapy, but you have to figure out how to get in touch with those things, right? That's kind of where theme comes in a little bit. Like, what is it that you're trying to say and why is it so important? And how can you pour that out on the page? So I had one of my earlier clients, I read his script and I could tell that he was just teetering on the thing that he really wanted to say. And that's because it was coming from a personal place and he didn't want to put himself on the page. And I told him, well, if you don't put yourself on the page, then why should anybody else care? Why should they be open enough to accept your characters and accept your, you know, blah, blah, blah. So there is no, you know, um, there is no, well, if you do this, you'll be, you'll be uh, emotional and vulnerable on the page. You have to dig into that. You know, I'm a person who writes from trauma because I think everybody has them, big or small, has it, big or small. So you might even have to ask yourself, 
what's causing the freeze in me to not want to share. Mm-hmm. And that's going to bring up emotions that you may not be really ready to deal with. You know what I'm saying? And so, but you got to, if you, if you're trying to get it out there, if you wanted to make a difference, if you wanted to be impactful, like one of the reasons that Marvel um, impacts us the way that it does is because we, these characters are three-dimensional. They're not just superheroes, right? Like we know that uh, Captain America is first, was first of all dealing with, you know, identity issues and not being good enough. And then he lost the love of his life because he had this thing on his shoulder about helping other people because mm-hmm. he was always the, the underdog, right? Well, now for the rest of the series, all the way to Endgame, we see that he's fractured from losing that love. Mm-hmm. So we get all the way to Endgame and he finally gets her and we're crying because of something that happened 15 movies ago. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? right. 15 movies ago. But mm-hmm. that's because that emotion was there. It wasn't just a robot saving the planet. And so that may have come. I don't know. I'm making up stuff now. I don't know why they decided to go, you know, go that route or whatever. But when you tell a love story, you got to really dig deep about why you need love, where, mm-hmm. where it's coming from. And for him, that was the first woman to ever treat him like a person, mm-hmm. even when he wasn't Captain America. So it still came back to filling the hole inside of him. It wasn't, she, he became the big bulky guy. And then all of a sudden she was, oh, right. She right. was one of the only people other than his friend, Bucky, who also stays for the ride, right? Mm-hmm. The only people who treated him like a human being. That's a hole for him. Mm-hmm. That's why he needed to be in the army. That's why he kept going back over and over and over. Pick me, pick me, pick me. He's a pick me, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And so you have to be able to put that stuff on the page. So I would say, you know, ask yourself the tough questions. Maybe you do have to go to therapy. Maybe you have a spouse or a friend or somebody and you start getting that stuff out and then ask yourself how you can externalize that on the page. Right. No, it's good advice. Uh, Glenn Toussaint, does Shannon write her own screenplays? If so, what genres? Yes. So I write coming of age stories for people of color um, who are dealing with trauma that's unhealed. So the way that it's presenting um, may come off negatively, right? And so I do that because like we talked about, I believe a lot of people don't deal with the stuff. Mm-hmm. And when you don't deal with the stuff you present in, in life differently, right? And so I'm always thinking about, all right, this person is this for a living and has this goal, but what's this stuff in here that's stopping them from doing that? And how does that affect them? So whether I'm writing a short film, a pilot, a feature, that stuff is going to come out in it. Now, I don't get to write very often because I spend all my time helping other people write. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I don't get to write my own stuff very often. I jot down my notes all the time when things come to me so that when I have an opportunity to do it, I can. Um, but if I am going to write something that's just mine, it's going to be a person of color at the lead, not necessarily a black person. I want people to know that there's a difference. When I say black people, I mean black people. When I say person of color, I mean everyone who is not uh, uh, white. Um, so I have a person of color at the helm. Um, and then I kind of try to figure out what their holes are, what their trauma is and how that motivates them throughout the screenplay. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Stefan Raymond Hussey again. Uh, I often hear you need to quote, know the rules to break them mm-hmm. in terms of beats, uh, catalyst on page 12, midpoint on page 55, for example, how spot on are those rules and how often do you see them broken? I see them broken often, sometimes for the better and sometimes not, right? right? I just watched a movie the other day, excuse me, Needle in a, needle in a Time Stack, 
The inciting incident comes 40 minutes in. I'm bored as I'm watching the movie because it took you 40 minutes to set up what this movie was about. Mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily need it to be 15 minutes in, but 40, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? 40 is the moment where we start to change, where we start to move, where we start to get into the action. Absolutely not. Um, but then if you're watching something that's like a, a biography, you know, autobiography or a biography, um, there is a lot more setup. So you might not get to the inciting incident of the story of that person's life until mm-hmm. 30 minutes in, but there was so much new information I was getting. Also, I'm coming to this already knowing this person. That's why it's a biography. Mm-hmm. So I'm willing to just kind of dally around a little bit in that stuff before the change happens, right? So it, ha- you know, it happens all the time. I tell my clients that if I'm 20 minutes into this thing, and I don't know what it's about, that's a problem. First of all, because creatives, um, creative executives are only gonna give you about 10 to 15 pages, mm-hmm. period. So even if they haven't gotten to the inciting incident, if you know story well enough, you should see it coming. Right. So I might be on page 10 and I haven't gotten to the inciting incident because I just haven't. Mm-hmm. But if I've been getting enough information that's helping me to come up with assumptions of what this thing is gonna be about, I'm going to give you the next 10 pages to read. Mm -hmm. If I give you the next 10 pages and you still haven't told me what this thing is about, I'm out. But the same thing is true for you when you're at home watching TV. If it's 20 minutes in and it's not, it hasn't um, proven what it's going to be about, you're on your phone. Mm -hmm. You're changing the channel, right? Right. So I tell people to look at it like um, you're writing a thesis statement, right? If you're writing an essay and I don't get that thesis statement in paragraph one, then what is the rest of this essay about? Mm -hmm. Now I'm trying to figure out what the essay is about versus you telling me in this essay, I'm trying to prove X, Y, and Z. And then all of the paragraphs after that are the proof. That's what your inciting incident is. So before I get to 20 minutes in, that might be page one. That might be page 12. It might be 15. It might be 19. By the time I'm 20 minutes into this thing, I should be able to say, I'm watching this protagonist try to do this. And from that moment on, I should actually watch them try to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's 100%. As as a former reader, I can tell you that one of the biggest problems that you saw so often was that they did not hit that inciting incident fast enough. I mean, I've seen first acts that didn't end until page 70. And either it wrapped up way too fast, like your second and third mm-hmm. act happened in 30 pages, yeah. or it's a 160 page script. Uh, there's major issues. Never at no point, if you're going over 40 pages, even at that point is sketchy. At that point is sketchy. You need to edit your script, yeah. but at 40 pages or longer, if your, your first act is that long, you've got issues. And as a reader, I had to finish because I had to write coverage on it for my yeah. uh, bosses, the executives. <laughs> But I got to tell you, executives, agents, managers, they're not going to continue. They're they're done after 20, 15 even. But yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Let's see here. Uh, DG Thompson. Hi, Shannon. Thanks for talking with us. I sent a half-baked script to a couple of potential reps who rightfully passed. Is there a secret blacklist of rejected scripts that is shared by reps? I'm trying to determine whether to get a script consultation or or move on to a new script. Um, yes and no, right? There's not like an actual, you know, newsletter that goes out that says, oh my God, I read this terrible thing, guys, don't, don't read it. But, you know, managers, no managers, agents, no agents, 
entertainment lawyers, no entertainment lawyers, readers, no readers, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so I wouldn't necessarily say move on to another script. The question is, do you understand why it got passed on? If you knew it was half-baked, I mean, if you knew it was half-baked before you sent it out, that's on you, mm-hmm. right? If you didn't, but now you know, if you know how to make it fully baked, then make it fully baked because now it's a different read when it goes mm-hmm. out. You know what I mean? But if you, you know, if you have sent it to a couple of different places and they all said, no, I would let it go because the title and your name itself is going to make people go, ah, if they do decide to even ask somebody about it. Right. If you're a new enough writer, they might not ask anybody about it because they're just going to send it through the coverage person, mm-hmm. you know, make it to their desk, whatever. If they actually get to the place of I'm interested in this, that might be the moment where they start to ask around. Anybody mm-hmm. ever heard about anybody? know? blah, 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 blah. So it's just really up to you. If you, if you know, there's a story there and you can admit to yourself, man, I just, it just wasn't ready, then make it ready. And, you know, maybe it'll do something. But what I will say is something that gets enough nose is now dead in the water, even mm-hmm. if it's better. I mean, even it's, even if it's good, you know, it just mm-hmm. means so many other people were saying, no, well, I can't be the person who says yes. <laughs> it's right. weird in that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say that if you're going to write, you know, fully bake your script, as, as the terminology is, uh, I would not send that same script to those same people that you sent it to last time. They will not, oh. chances are they will not look at it. Um, and also note that those people that you had sent it to the half-baked script to the first time, if you have a new script and send it to them and it's equally bad, you will probably not get read again. So just keep that in mind. If you send it out to a few people, not a big deal. If you send it to the entire town and you got reads all over town and it was terrible, be very careful about sending out another script. Make sure it's top notch that you're, you're, you know, you've gotten. uh, Wait a few years. And when they don't remember, (laughs) right? they get so many scripts, you know, they might not remember, you know, three years. But a A lot of them will keep databases uh, though, you know, so that they will, you know, uh, but unless you're a complete lunatic, which there are those out there, they won't remember your name. Chances yeah. are, especially if you submitted a script and then you come back a few months later, a few years later, whatever it happens to be with a different script, they probably will just accept it on its face value, right? Yeah. Not go back and look um, at mm-hmm. your other things. Uh, Joanne Lolly, what are Shannon's thoughts about someone writing an original limited series, not based on IP, not created by the screenwriter, how to get it read, contests, pitch fests, query. Joanne, we're going to ask that question next week too of our uh, uh, lit manager who's talking about IP and things like that. And, and But Shannon, your thoughts on that? Okay, so I want to make sure I'm understanding the question. Mm-hmm. You're writing a limited series, but you're not the screenwriter? Is that what it? Well, it's an original limited series. Basically, I'm, I think she's talking about writing a pilot for a limited series, not a full series, but something mm-hmm. not based on IP. Although technically it is an IP if they're writing it, it's, it's their own intellectual property, yeah. but nothing with a book or a comic book or yeah. you know previously attached anything. Try it. Yeah, try it out. Um, and when you go in, that's what, you, when, when, when they read it, mm-hmm. it should be clear that it's a limited series, mm-hmm. right? Because limited series, and this is what I feel like doesn't really happen well enough when it's an adaptation. Limited series is trying to solve one problem. Mm-hmm. And they're usually who done it kind of things. Usually. Like even if you look at little fires everywhere, it reads like a drama, but we're really trying to figure out what happened with this burning house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we're there every week trying to get closer to what happened there. In the middle of that, we're dealing with character stuff and relationships and you know, mother-daughter and blah, 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 blah. But at the end of the day, it started with a problem that we understood needed to be solved, mm-hmm. right? 
And so a lot of limited series, especially if they're not based on someone's life or, you know, whatever, whatever, like, um, uh, like some of the mini series that they've done on Netflix lately, like there's a Madam CJ Walker mini series that was four, four, two hour episodes long. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but that was, we're here to tell you someone's life story over eight hours instead of one and a half. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, write the pilot for the limited series, make sure it's clear. And once they bring you in, pitch it that way. People are doing limited series these days. Of course, like we said earlier, people are just into established IP. They're just into it. You can't get around that. But mm -hmm. I don't think that's, again, you should write what you want to write. I'm going to tell you what I'm not going to do because I don't want to. I'm not going to adapt something from somebody else's IP. I don't want to. Mm -hmm. So if anybody is going to read something from me, it's going to be my original stuff because I just don't believe in, well, give them what they want so that you can make the money. I don't want to do that. Right. I don't want to adapt something. So I'm not going to adapt it. You know what I mean? But if you are good at adapting, which is a skill set that not everyone is good at, mm -hmm. then yes, definitely adapt. If you're not good at, adapt, at adapting, but you have a limited series in mind, do it. Because guess what? If you get in the room and you start to pitch it and they buy it, they might say, well, we don't want to do a limited series anymore. We're going to make it a full series. Well, right. great. You get to make more money over a longer period of time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So just write the thing that you want to write and see where it's going to go. Right. And I would add that if you're writing it and you're passionate about it, regardless of whether it's in a, a limited series or not, if you're using it as a writing sample, which is a, what a lot of newer writers should be doing, yes. it's less about selling it, at least initially, write it however you want, be passionate about it, write something amazing, whether it's a limited series or not, get a job as a you know staff somewhere. And then at some point when you're developing, you can pitch it as a limited series, right? And that's great because those things you have, you may have credits at that point, you may have been established, but trying to sell a limited series, a pilot for not a limited series, you know, just a, a traditional series, anything at all is very difficult. I mean, senior level, mid and senior level writers, upper levels uh, have a hard time selling scripts, right? Selling pilots, selling limited, selling anything. So don't necessarily approach it as, this is my limited series. Is it harder to sell? Write it and use it as a writing sample, right? Get your rep because reps, if it's a great sample, they're obviously it's easier to sell a pilot. It's not a limited series, but still, if it's an amazing writing sample, they're, they'll work with you on developing something else, right? They will, you know, use that to try to get you staffed. So, you know, write what you feel passionate about. If you love that idea, then go with it, right? It's so crazy you said that. That's literally what my Instagram post is about today. Mm -hmm. Oh, there you go. Everything is not for you to sell it, but mm -hmm. everything is a sample. Absolutely. <laughs> Every single thing. And so you can also help yourself. We were talking earlier about the discouragement, blah, 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 blah. If mm -hmm. you don't look at everything as in this has to sell in order for me to feel successful. Right. If you look at it like I've got a great writing sample, mm -hmm. that'll just help with your energy. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Your positivity in this entire industry. Absolutely. Uh, we still got questions rolling in. We're about an hour and a half into this, and I, I don't want to keep you too long, but if you're willing to stay and answer more questions, we've still got them coming in. Yeah, we can do a few more minutes, maybe okay. go to 45. Okay. Uh, so we do have other topics. We'll have to bring you back on to finish those, but I want to get to the audience questions. So we're okay. going to do that. Um, Marcus Aurelius, do you have any suggestions for an older writer, 40, getting into a writer's room? I could do the phone answering, setting meetings thing, maybe, but it just doesn't pay enough for me to survive in LA. I know. Oh my gosh. I know. Um, the answer is no, right? The only advice that I have is I would say it's kind of the same advice I'd give anyone at any age, 
But mm -hmm. I agree with you that you going into PA or something like that is probably not going to be the route for you. Mm -hmm. So then your route is going to be, how can I get directly to the showrunners who are staffing for their shows? And that is social media. That is, are any of them on the jury of some of these competitions? Are any of them going to be the people who are there for some of these pitch fest things? Um, are they speaking on any panels that I can go to and you know submit things to them? You can query them just as much as you can query anybody else. And by mm -hmm. query, I mean just send your log line. Do not send your script. <laughs> you know. But the thing about it is, what's great about you being forty is that you have a life experience outside of this industry, and that's the thing that's going to get you booked more mm -hmm. than your actual sample. Right. Because all of the stories that are on TV are about people and we don't necessarily need writers who have only been writing forever to tell those stories. We need people who have actually done the thing, people who have actually like at the, uh, the show, The Office. They need people who've been in corporate mm -hmm. <laughs> in order to be able to like actually come up with these scenarios. If it's a procedural, they need people who have been doctors, who have been mm -hmm. lawyers have been policemen who have whatever if it's a, a family series they need people who have adult children and you know young children or whatever those things are so I would say lean into your age and your story when you're talking to these people because mm -hmm. that's the thing that's going to make them interested in even giving you a read but right. other than that it's the same kind of hustle and bustle but I agree with you like at this point you're not trying to be an assistant you don't have time to be there all night you got a family you got this mm -hmm. you got blah 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 you can't put in that same amount of time so that means you got to figure out how to get directly to the showrunners and directly to the executives who are doing mm -hmm. that hiring uh for the staff and that's a great answer and I was gonna uh, opine on something similar but you actually covered it in terms of uh, leaning into what it is you know your experience Right. If you have an experience uh, as, you know, uh, in a specific field, like you worked in uh, a lab of some kind or you worked as a police officer or whatever. I mean, uh, uh, you know, I think David Simon was a, a journalist covering uh, Baltimore PD. Right. And he used that to parlay that. Um, Albert Kim, who I mentioned earlier, I believe was a magazine editor and got his first job as a consultant uh, working for a show that wanted that was about a magazine editor, right, for its series. And then, you know, it got picked up and he got eventually hired as a staff writer and worked his way that way. Uh, so definitely lean in to write something that you know, that you have experience in, that you can relay that experience so that you can, you know, this is authentic, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and secondly, the only thing I would say is, don't don't make it about age they won't tend to ask so unless all your references about are about things in the 80s and 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 so if you, your writing feels older because all your references are older unless it's something like that they, they tend not to ask mm -hmm. uh, and then thirdly don't act as if you are above it right yeah. uh, a lot of showrunners i asked about age i asked specifically do you have a problem with uh, would you have a problem with the writer a lower level hiring a staff writer who was older than you. And they said, as long as they don't ex expect to be treated differently, as long as they don't come in thinking they're more experienced or better than this job as a staff writer, then no. But if they come in thinking I'm, you know, 50 years old, I don't, I'm not like this 20 or other 20 year old staff writer, you need to treat me differently, or I know more, then they have a problem. But other yeah. than that, no, I think you're good. Um, let's see here. Uh, Blaine uh, Marcano, uh, how can someone become a script reader like you were? I'm assuming that he's talking to me since you were an exec. Mm -hmm. uh, and a lot of it comes down to people you know. I mean, I was at CIA reading a lot of scripts and 
going from CIA, you meet a lot of execs and a lot of, you know, and so you get hired. That's one of the reasons for taking a job at CIA. Either you want to be an agent or you just want to make a ton of connections. So you work at a big agency. Uh, but what I will say with so many script competitions now, I mean, I don't think they pay very well, they don't. but they take, a, and some of them don't pay at all. Yeah, they don't. get jobs, but they'll take almost anybody, right? Some of these smaller screenplay competitions. This is the thing you should listen to. They'll take yeah. almost anybody. Right. So <laughs> that being said, you may not want to submit to these festivals or screenplay competitions that are smaller, but become a reader at them. Get some experience reading scripts. And then when, a, whether it's the Blacklist or some other upper level competition source site, whatever, mm -hmm. is hiring and paying people to do it. You said, I've read scripts for these four screenplay competitions, right? Mm -hmm. So that's probably the best way to go about it. Get some experience doing it for free or for little, very little money at smaller competitions, and they'll take you probably, right? Yeah. They'll take almost anybody, and then work your way up from there. Um, let's see here. Uh, Stefan Raymond Hussey, thanks so much to both of you guys. Well, thanks for listening, Stefan. Thank you. Uh, Stefan, uh, I've read tons of screenwriting books. Is there, are there any books uh, about screenwriting or not that you recommend for beginning writers? Yeah. The crazy thing is I'm not a, I'm not a book recommender mm. and it's only because it's 2022 and I just feel like there's so, like there's so many resources, right? especially like on YouTube and on mm. blogs where you can get, you can easily digest it. <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Where mm. they speak specifically about this one topic give you examples or whatever. And it's so much more easily digestible. But that being said, you know, I went to film school and I started my journey in the year 2004, three. Um, so obviously I've read books. I enjoy Save the Cat. Um, mm -hmm. And of course I've read Story and I enjoyed, now this one to me was more of a business thing, uh, but it's the, I'm probably gonna uh, give you the wrong name of it because Pixar has a couple of books but they have this one book that's written by one of the founders of Pixar. Um, and I just loved listening to them talk about their think tanks and how mm -hmm. they you know, come up with their stories and things like that. Um, but in general, I usually tell people go to Studio Binder, go to Script Reader Pro, <laughs> you know what I mean? And again, go to Script Slug and just download the screenplays. There is no official way. Even people who go to film school come out of it not knowing everything, especially about the business. Mm -hmm. um, in my opinion, most, most film schools focus on the director. They're director focused. Mm -hmm. So a lot of them don't come, they come out having taken two or three screenwriting classes. Right. <laughs> right. So they still don't really know a lot about screenwriting. So you can learn a lot by reading screenplays. You can learn so much by reading screenplays. Um, and then when it comes to just like process, um, you know, that's why I offer the course that I offer, because a lot of people skip that part and just go, yeah, come into my class and let's write a screenplay. But they right. haven't talked about how you build characters, how you build worlds, how you write an outline, how you can prepare for it. You know, what the what are the steps that you're going to take in this in the screenplays for the, the character to reach their goal, et cetera. Like all that stuff is stuff that you need to understand. Mm -hmm. With that being said, all of the books are telling you the same thing. They're just saying in their own language. So it goes back to you finding the consultant that works for you, you finding the book that works for you. Story and Save the Cat saying the same thing. Right, right? absolutely. Robert McKee though speaks um, in, uh, in my opinion, more academically <laughs> and save the cat just kind of says it, right? So mm -hmm. it just kind of depends on how you like to learn. But, you know, I tell people all the time, read save the cat because I think it's very, it's very uh, direct mm -hmm. and very simple to understand. Very actionable. Yeah, very actionable. Mm -hmm. yeah. And he has beat sheets and all kinds of stuff that you mm -hmm. can download and learn for your own process. That's that word again, process. Right. You know, so I, I enjoy save the cat. And it goes to that, 
uh, topic we were talking about earlier, learn the rules before you break the rules. You don't have to follow all of the rules of Save the Cat, but you should know basic storytelling rules, whether right. it's from Save the Cat or not, before right. you start just breaking them, right? Writing whatever you The more you, you read, the yeah. more blogs you read, the more videos you read, mm -hmm. you'll hear most people saying the same stuff over and over and over, right. using different language. You know, like for me, there's, there's a part of the second act that people put in three parts and I put in one mm. because that's how I understand it. Sure. That's how it makes sense to me. <laughs> so right. when I teach it, that's how I teach it. But then I can also, because I've already learned the craft say, mm -hmm. oh, I'm taking these three beats and putting them into one. I can right. tell you that because I know enough about, you know, what the structure is. Mm -hmm. I think for me, there are probably three books that I would say uh, take a look at just for fun. And they're less structural books. They're not, again, a Robert McKee book or anything like that. Uh, Adventures in the Screen Trade by William Goldman. It's sort of an older book, but again, it's just a great trip down, you know, old school Hollywood getting movies made and things like that, uh, mm -hmm. which is just fun to read. Um, I would say if you're a filmmaker, you can read uh, Robert Rodriguez's, uh, what's that? book that he wrote um where he details uh making el mariachi uh, i can't remember the name offhand I'll, I'll try to post a link if i can remember it um it's about guerrilla filmmaking it's fantastic again it's about experience and his experience doing it so it kind of gives you an idea of what the experience is like rather than telling yeah. you rules specifically yeah. uh and the last one is writing uh movies for fun and profit by robert ben garant and and uh thomas lennon which again, it's it's funny, it's fast read, it's it's a great insight into uh, screenwriting, as opposed to sort of screenwriting of rules. It just gives you kind of their experience and some some tips and things like that. It's a lot of fun. Um, so again, they're fast, easy reads, which I think is is helpful too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Glenn Toussaint, what can we expect from a consultation from Shannon? Well, there you go. <laughs> well, that's so funny. Consultations are about what you need. Mm -hmm. So I don't have a structure for my consultation. It's not like you come in, we do this, we do that, because every single writer is an individual. Every single writer is in a different place in their process. And you selected this consultation. So you know what you're looking for out of it. Mm -hmm. And then I do my best to give you that. Yep. So it's your time. That's literally what I say. Hi, how you doing? Oh, how's your right. baby? Blah, 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 blah. Okay, this is your time. How can I help you? No, that's great. <laughs> that's, uh, you know, uh, yeah, you're not force feeding a specific course of action down on somebody. That's that's a cookie cutter thing that you're reading yeah. off a script. So that's great. Yeah. That's not what they need. I give them, try to give them what they need. Yeah. Marcus Aurelius. Oh, he said Rebel Without a Crew, Robert Rodriguez. That's okay. what it does. Rebel right. Without a Crew. Uh, thanks for that. Uh, let's see. Um, thank you for the reply, Shannon. As a follow-up about being an older writer, any tips on how to highlight my story and experience? Should I point that out in queries, social media presence? Uh, yeah, what do you think? Put, it in, put it in your social media presence. And if nothing else, once you actually do get in conversation with them or in the in the room with mm -hmm. them, like a lot of people are hired on staff because in the interview portion, they know themselves so well mm -hmm. <laughs> that they're able to attach their experience to whatever that show is about. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't force it. It's not about, hey, I'm this and I've done this. But be very specific. If you're trying to get on Grey's Anatomy and you have been a doctor, then you're going to talk about it naturally. Right. Like, it's not like, hey, did you know I was a doctor? You know what I mean? You're, you're, you're naturally going to talk about it. And when you're in the interview and they're, you know, asking you about yourself and blah, 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 you can talk about like, oh, yeah, because when I was an intern, or you remember that episode when you guys did this? Oh, my gosh, that was so much my experience, blah, 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 anecdote, anecdote, right? right. 
Um, so it's really not about forcing it. I, it's not about putting it in the query, in my opinion. Yeah. Long line is everything in the query. It's just, if they want to read it, they'll read it. If they yeah. don't, they don't, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But in those interactions that you're having, first of all, with anything, just be a person. Yep. Because everyone already knows that you want to be in the industry. That's why mm-hmm. you're at the film festival. That's why you're there. Therefore, these people are being sold and pitched to all day. Just be a person. Right. Don't talk about your writing. They know why you're there. Mm-hmm. And eventually, if they care because they've been hanging out with you at the bar and just drinking and talking about the day and talking about whatever, they'll ask you. So what do you do? Mm-hmm. Oh, what, what are you, you working know? on? Yeah. What are you working on? Oh, well, I got this blah, 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 blah. And again, if you're writing from a place of what you know, mm-hmm. you have mm-hmm. this this procedural about a hospital because you used to mm-hmm. run a hospital. Right. And so now, again, anecdotally, it makes sense. So yeah. it's not about forcing it. It's just about when the time is right, when the natural thing is happening, then give the people the information. And if you're in an interview, they're going to ask you straight out. So tell me about yourself. Well, right. I'm not going to, if, if I'm in a, um, in an interview for a show that's about teaching and they say, tell me about yourself. I'm not going to talk about the fact that I was a doctor mm-hmm. unless I worked in a teaching hospital. Right. So as the uh, resident, it was my job to teach. You right. see, it all connects. It all connects. Yeah. yeah. And I, I agree. I wouldn't mention it in queries. Don't make it about age yeah. because for them, it's not unless it becomes an issue. So don't give them again, a reason, even if it's like, Oh, this person's 40. Ah, I want to break a younger ride. If they love your writing, that's all that matters. Really? That's all that matters. Yeah. So yeah, don't, I don't make it about age. You can make unless it at 40. You can make it about with- again, you know, unless the show is about sure. 40 year old, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And especially if it's a comedy, now your query is a little funny. Hey, I'm 40. You should read my log line. Right. But again, it's connected to it. Yep. Yep. Uh, I've got two more quick questions. Is that okay? Mm-hmm. Last two questions. OK Computer 0101 and uh, Scrappy Coco. So we'll go OK Computer. How, when do you approach friends and associates who work and are successful in the industry to read your stuff without turning them off? Do you not do that to keep your friends? <laughs> depends how good of a writer you are yeah yeah yeah. right it's really about again you know kind of like you said at the beginning your script needs to be in a place that you know it's clear enough and it's going to represent you well Mm -hmm. and you're looking for feedback Mm -hmm. or they're close enough of a friend to you that you can be honest with them and Mm -hmm. say i have the slightest idea what i'm doing i just need you to take a look at this right taking a look at it and will you do something with it are not the same request right or even give me feedback like serious feedback yeah give me serious feedback you know those are not the same requests so again Mm -hmm. you need to know what you're looking for from them if they're your actual friend they're going to want to take a look just so that you don't embarrass yourself or them Mm. out in the industry right if they're not your your actual friend but you know them by proxy then it's this thing is in a decent place Am I sending it to them for feedback Mm -hmm. or am I sending it to them because I want them to help me to get it to another place? Mm -hmm. I think all of it has to be fair game because this industry is about nepotism. That's how anybody is getting anything done. Anybody. So for you to not utilize your contacts is to put yourself at a disadvantage for no reason. But again, if your screenplay then ends up being terrible, then now you burn that bridge. You might not have burned your friendship if they're your actual friends right? Your actual friend will come back and tell you, I'm not going to show this to anybody because mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not ready. And, uh, and like we talked about earlier, it's them putting their name on the line because now when they try to send another screenplay from somebody else, that person's not going to want to read it because mm-hmm. the last time you sent something over here, it was terrible, right? So you just have to make sure that you're 
kind of figuring it out. And then again, if you're close enough to them, whether they're a, a best friend, a family member, or even by proxy, ask them because everybody's coming at them. So ask them if they're open to it. Mm-hmm. Ask them if they're open to just read and get feedback. Ask them if they're open to passing it on to the next person, because it might not even be something that you, that they choose to do. Mm-hmm. From the outside, we think because they've done this one thing, they have connections. I guarantee you that the majority of them cannot do the thing that you think that they can do with your script. Mm-hmm. Right. The majority of them cannot, they don't, unless they're Tom Cruise, they do not have the access that you think that they have mm-hmm. that will get you the thing that you're trying to get. So you set yourself up for failure and then a possible fracture in your friendship because now you're assuming that they can do something that they cannot do, mm-hmm. that they don't have the access to do, that they may try to do, but it doesn't mean that they can get it done, right? So it's really about who are they? What is their role? Like if they're not a manager agent kind of person and they are a writer, sure, they could pass it on to their manager, but that doesn't mean it's going to go anywhere. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you just got to kind of figure out who can, who can you give what and what are you expecting and requesting of them? Mm-hmm. And I would say uh, add on two things. One, uh, don't be pushy about it. That's yeah. that's the worst. It, it, oftentimes I would say I would hesitate unless they're a really good friend. Don't even ask. Because if they're interested, they will ask you. If, if they like you, they will ask, what do you have going on, right? Mm-hmm. But I would say the second thing is, if you want them to ask, make it known that you're a writer. Because right. so many people don't because they're, they're worried that, oh, I'm not a paid writer. They're going to take me seriously. They're going to think I'm just sort of, you know, uh, a wannabe because I'm a writer, but I haven't sold anything. No, no, no. Let them know that you are writing, right? They can't ask if you don't let them know. Mm-hmm. But two... If they know you're a writer and they don't ask, don't be pushy about it. Right. Right. Because that will turn them off faster than anything. Right. Because you're uh, not the only person on the planet. Who's oh, asking. yeah. <laughs> you know, they're getting asked every day, all day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Scrappy Coco. Last question. Uh, what's the best screenplay you've ever read and why? Oh, that's a good one. Oh, oh my God. Challenging. I, I read so much stuff. Um, so this, I, I'm not a person who, um, like I said earlier, I don't do extremes. So I don't do best. I don't do worst. I don't do favorites. I don't do, I don't know. It's my personality. I'm weird like that. But I will say I recently read two different screenplays, two different genres. One was a, maybe a, a dramedy pilot and the other was maybe a feature. I'm kind of trying to remember. I think it was a feature and it was kind of a, kind of like a thriller. But what I liked about both of them was how simple they were. They were very simple. You know, the action lines were simple. Um, And it was, it worked for the tone, Mm -hmm. right? So I'm not saying this to you so that you can go, okay, I need to write simple action lines. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying in this dramedy, it was simple because I don't, I, I'm not focused on the action. I'm focused on what's going on with the characters and how they're interacting with each other. And so they quickly come in and tell me something and then we move into the dialogue and they quickly say something else and then we move into the dialogue. So it didn't feel heavy Mm -hmm. and therefore it felt light because it is a light dramedy pilot, right? Mm -hmm. So it allowed me to read through it quickly, enjoy it, et cetera. And then the thriller, it gave me more of a thrill because it felt more direct like this thing's in the corner. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> you know what I mean? And right. walked in and there's blood, you know, whatever it was. And so um, I just enjoyed both of those reads. First of all, I enjoy anything that I can read quickly. That's just 
the truth because yeah. I, can't, I can't read most things quickly. Um, people might not, people might read my stuff quickly, but I have heavier action than, you know, these two things. So that's why I'm saying just because you have light action, doesn't make it great or not great. I just think that both of those writers understood their story, understood their tones and therefore made decisions that were great for those stories. Because I, even as a writer who have, has a very clear voice, I put my voice throughout the script and I usually have dense action. And I don't mean like this. I just yeah. mean I have more action on the page than I have dialogue because mm -hmm. I am a very, very, very show don't tell person. I want you to see it. I don't want people to say anything. Right. So because of that, you get more action, mm -hmm. not this much action, just more action overall. Um, but I also then have to say, but this particular story doesn't need my voice that much. Or this particular story doesn't need my voice at all, mm. <laughs> right? And I don't mean my voice as in, like it still sounds like me, still sounds like a Shannon E. Johnson script, but I'm not inserting myself as much. Sure. Because right? I talk to the reader a lot because I know readers are reading, right? So mm -hmm. as a writer, like I kind of, you know, put little things in here that are funny that's never going to make it onto the screen. It's really just about the read. But then I read, I have some stuff and I'm like, yeah, but I, my voice can't be more important than the story and how the story is read. So you have to mm -hmm. be able to make those decisions. If I had been reading a drama with both of those scripts, I may feel totally different. I may feel like I didn't have enough. I'm not feeling enough. I don't know you know, what's going on with these people, but because it was a thriller and because it was a dramedy, it worked for them. And it was very simple, very easy to read. No, oh, great. Um, so thank you, Shannon. You've, you've stayed way over and we really <laughs> appreciate it. It's been fantastic. Um, be sure to check out all Shannon's social medias. You want to throw them out again just so we have them? Yes. So on Instagram, I'm at The Professional Pin. On TikTok, YouTube, and Twitter, I'm at Shannon E. Johnson. Shannon with an N-N-A-N yes. Johnson. Two A's, no O's. Yep. That's perfect. Uh, mm -hmm. And be sure to join us next Saturday, same time. Uh, with lit manager uh, Peter Katz of Story Driven. We're going to be talking about IP and, and management and all that kind of stuff. Thank you again, Shannon. I truly appreciate you coming on. Um, thank you for having me. And thank and, you guys for coming in and hanging out with us. Yeah, and thank you guys for joining us today. We'll see you next week.